0: Thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm super excited to have Michael Mame back on the show with me. Uh, he's been on a couple of times in the past, and I'll put links to those shows in the show notes of this episode if you want to go back and listen to those. Uh, he had a trilogy that uh, that began with Planet Side and Space Side, and uh, the third one was Colony Side. If I remember, is that right, Michael? That is correct. Yeah, and he is with us today to talk about a brand new book, not in that series. Uh, that is one of the most fun books that you'll read this year. It's called The Misfit Soldier. Um, I love this book. I know you will too. Welcome back to the show, Michael.
2: Hey, hey, Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Absolutely excited to have you back on the show. Um, so, Michael, the last time we talked was a couple of years ago, and um, a. A little thing happened in 2020 that, um, you know, has kind of, uh, caused everyone to, to have, uh, some interesting times. Uh, how has the writing life in the midst of a global pandemic
2: affected you? Yeah, it's, it's been interesting. Um, it, it kind of worked out okay for me. And, and I hate to even say that out loud because, I mean, obviously, it's horrible that people have died. But just in my own life, personally, I in November of 2019, I informed the school where I worked that I would not be returning, that I was going to quit teaching to be a full time writer. And that was pre-pandemic, um, you know, and then March of 2020, everything happened. We went to, you know, online school. I was finishing up Colony Side, writing Colony Side at the time. Um so really, I had already made the decision to detach from the world and become a hermit and, and write. Um, and as it turned out, the timing on that was okay um, for me. Um, you know, bar, barring, again, that it's it's a horrible tragedy, and and I'm not trying to make light of it. Of course, it, of course. It, it this didn't affect me personally that much um, at first. Um, you know, and then I got through writing this book, um in the reason I quit the job, I was so stressed out. I was trying to do two full-time jobs. I was trying to do a huge edit on Colony Side, which needed a lot of work before it became the book that it is now. Um, and I was doing that while we were transitioning, you know, from, from teaching in person to online school. And, you know, there was just a lot of stress. And then when, when my job ended, I, I was kind of relieved from that. And I really was able to just buckle down and and Do a lot of work on the Misfit Soldier, um, so you know that worked out well. And then it kind of caught up with me after that. I think um, you know, just just kind of the whole thing. And trying to write the next book, I was four months late delivering the next book. Um, you know, which comes out in July. So, well,
0: what of conversations I've had with other people? Um, you know, um, writers are unique people in that most of us work from home already or, you know, in, in some sort yeah. of an isolated, um, you know, office situation. And, you know, that you can have a whole career and not have a whole lot of interaction with other people, you know, other than when it, you know, comes time to promote books and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Uh, but the majority of the writer's life is kind of isolated already. Um, uh, but there's there's an interesting thing that happens when you know the rest of the world is going through the same thing that you're going through, and uh, there's there's some some interesting mental gymnastics that, that happen um, when you know that that the rest of the world is locked down too. It's uh, it's affected people in different ways.
2: Yeah, and and also just the ability to not get out, you know, and and interact in the world. Maybe when you're when you're locked down already doing your work, um, you know, maybe, maybe some of your downtime is actually interacting with people and not being alone. Um, you know, so when that goes away, um, you know, it it affects everybody different. Um, you know, it certainly affected even, even in my own family, my wife and I, my wife is, is a, is a complete extrovert. Um, and this has been so hard on her, uh, you know, but because we're married, and we've been married for a long time, and, and we're in a relationship, because it's hard on her, it changes how I deal with things, too, um, you know, and, and it changes how she deals with things with me being more of an introvert to start with, um, you know, so it's really complicated, and because it's complicated, you don't necessarily see it when it hits you, you know. All of a sudden, I was just behind on delivering this book, and I didn't really know why. Um <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people have shared uh, similar experiences, Michael. Yeah, um, your your uh, your previous series, we we touched on it a minute ago. The Planet Side series was a trilogy, um, kind of this epic um, military sci-fi. Uh, you know, epic is is the best word I can use to to describe it. Such a fun series. Um, but you know, it it definitely leaned into that military sci-fi um, yeah. nature. The new book, uh, even though it's classified as military sci-fi, um, I I definitely my experience with it was was uh, this was so much of a fun adventure story, um, and of, of course it has the, the military SF elements to it. Um, yeah. But but how do you see the difference in the new book? As, you know compared to your previous trilogy and uh you know i know your military background and and all of that that obviously um you know has uh has effect on the kinds of stories that you tell but what, what was kind of the thought process going into this book and and how did you you know what was your vision that kind of set this book apart from your previous work
2: um well, first off, thanks for for saying it was fun. That's what I tried to write. It was fun to write. Um, I, I was trying to do something different, um, but not totally different. You know, like enough the same where fans of my previous work were still going to you know engage with it, um, but but different, but different enough, different enough, you know, to bring to bring a completely different feel to it. You know, the the two things that they have, the series and this book have that are similar is they're both, in theory, military sci-fi, but they're not about the wars, right? Um, Planetside, while it is military sci-fi and it's definitely set in there and there's a war going on, Planetside is really a mystery. It's a a missing person mystery where Butler has to go find this guy. Um, And this book, while it's set in a military sci-fi, it's really a heist story, Um, you know. And I did want to approach it with younger characters because I think it lets me show a different side of the truth of the military, that there are all these people in the military who have all these different skills and different attitudes toward it. And, you know, they bring their own personalities. um, And and that's kind of what I wanted to do in this was just do kind of an ensemble cast um, lighter Hopefully, hopefully it reads a little bit lighter than some of the dark stuff in some of the previous books. Um, you know, and, and, and it was just, it was, uh, it's just more fun to write at this time. You know, I loved writing the Planet Side books. I love Carl Butler. Um, but, you know, going into a pandemic, writing, writing something funny isn't a bad way to go. Um, you know, both from a personal standpoint and hopefully from an audience standpoint, you know, hopefully people will engage with this.
0: I love a heist story. That, that's one of my favorite things to read. And uh, when I got this book and 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 started digging into it and, and sort of, I, I didn't do a whole lot of reading about the book before I started reading it. So I I was kind of you know surprised uh, as you know an author would kind of hope that that readers will be that that uh, when I got into it to realize what the story was all about and. Um, you know, from from that decision to to do a, a bit of a tonal shift for this book, um, d- did you know from the beginning, you know, that you wanted this to be a, a heist um, novel and that that there would be an ensemble cast, or was there a particular character that that was really uh, sticking out to you from the beginning?
2: Well, <laughs> from the very beginning, um, it started off as as gas and putty. Okay, those two characters, I I wrote a flash, a piece of flash fiction that was like 300 words long back in, oh, I don't know, 2016 or something. That was these two characters just having just having a, a, you know, just bantering with each other. And it was actually the scene made the book, the scene, the, the whole the whole book. I wrote the whole book so I could do that scene where they're talking about space whales. Okay. <laughs> that was the flash <laughs> fiction piece, right? These two guys just discussing discussing space whales and, and, and one of them just being a complete idiot, right? Which is it's still in the book. Um, and it's one of my favorite scenes. Um, so so it just started from that and those guys were always characters, but I, but when I started to write the book as a whole, I did start to I did start out to write a heist story. And then I failed. Um I wrote the whole book and like in the middle while I was writing it, it kind of turned into a mystery. Kind of turned into almost like Planet Side. Um, very similar to that. Um, and to the point where my one of my readers said that. He's like, you know, this is just Planetside Planet with different characters. And, and it was okay. Um and I turned it into my editor, uh David at um David Pamerico at uh, Harper Voyager, and he uh he, he, he asked me, he's like, is this the book you set out to write? Which is just a horrible question. And, and it, it just takes so much guts as an editor to ask that because he was right. But if he's wrong, you know, it, it, you're going to make your writer really sad. Um, but in my case, I was like, you know what? It is not. This is not what I meant to write. Let me go back and write what I meant to write. And then I kind of revised it and made it into the story that it is now, um, which is much more of a heist story, which is also one of my favorite parts my, my favorite types of movies like i love the old the sting um kelly's heroes there's a lot of kelly's heroes in this um if you're familiar with that oh, yeah. old movie from the 70s with uh, donald sutherland and clint eastwood and uh, and a whole bunch of other people um you know that the idea that they were going to go do something for their own purposes um you know despite being part of war that that idea kind of came from kelly's heroes um so so i kind of set out to do it and then got off track but then circled back around and i did ultimately you know I, me- I meant to do that
0: things we never got over the new book by best-selling author lucy score bearded bad boy barber knox refers to live his life the way he takes his coffee alone unless you count his basset hound wayland Knox doesn't tolerate drama, even when it comes in the form of a stranded runaway bride. Naomi wasn't just running away from her wedding. She was riding to the rescue of her estranged twin to knock him out Virginia, a rough-around-the-edges town where disputes are settled the old-fashioned way, with fists and beer, usually in that order. Too bad for Naomi, her evil twin hasn't changed at all. After helping herself to Naomi's car and cash, Tina leaves her with something unexpected. The niece Naomi didn't know she had. Now she's stuck in town with no car, no job, no plan, and no home with an 11 year old going on 30 to take care of. There's a reason Knox doesn't do complications or high maintenance women, especially not the romantic ones. But since Naomi's life imploded right in front of him, the least he can do is help her out of her jam. And just as soon as she stops getting into new trouble, he can leave her alone and get back to his peaceful, solitary life. At least that's the plan until the trouble turns to real danger. Things we never got over. The new book by best-selling author, Lucy Score. An Innocent Client, the first book in the Joe Dillard Legal Thriller series. A preacher is found brutally murdered in a Tennessee motel room. A beautiful, mysterious young girl is accused. In this best-selling debut, Criminal defense lawyer Joe Dillard has become jaded over the years as he's tried to balance his career against his conscience. Savvy but cynical, Dillard wants to quit doing criminal defense, but he can't resist the chance to represent someone who might actually be innocent. His drug addicted sister has just been released from prison, and his mother is succumbing to Alzheimer's, but Dillard's commitment to the case. Never wavers despite the personal troubles and professional demands that threaten to destroy him. Chosen by Bookbub readers as one of the top 100 crime novels of all time, get started on this great series with An Innocent Client, where it all started. Read for free with Kindle Unlimited or buy it in paperback or audiobook. An Innocent Client by Scott Pratt. Dabble is a proud sponsor of author stories. Dabble is an easy-to-use, cloud-based writing tool that gives writers a way to organize, plot, and create amazing stories, wherever they are. Write in our desktop app, on your Mac or Windows computer, tablet, or mobile device. Dabble syncs your latest version with the cloud on all your devices. Write anywhere and anytime inspiration strikes we got you. Dabble is my preferred writing tool and I think it will be yours as well. Visit dabblewriter.com for your free trial. So in the in the planning stages um of this book, did did your pre-writing um of, of course it, it probably was different, but what 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 did that look like in the planning of this book versus your your three previous books? Uh, you know, knowing um, kind of what your influences were going in, knowing um, kind of how how you wanted the story to be different. Did that mean a different planning phase?
2: I am a horrible planner. <laughs> <laughs> like I try hard. I write essay. I mean, I write. I write outlines because I have to um, to sell the book. That's how I sell the book at this point in my career. Um, I send an outline in, and the publisher says, "Yeah, that's the book we want." And then I do my best to deliver something that's not completely different from the outline. But but I usually send it off to my editor thinking, you know, almost wanting to write the note of, hey, this isn't the book you paid for, but I hope you like it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I, I just, the characters take over for me when I'm writing. Um, you know, and like some of the characters they weren't in the outline. You know, I started thinking about it because gas is the main character. Obviously, he was in the outline, you know, but I kind of started just thinking about it as I'm writing it from his point of view. And it would be like, well, he needs somebody to do this. Well, of course, he's gas. He's got resources. He knows people. Of course, he's got somebody. Right. He's got somebody to do that job. And then I just went about creating that person to fill this need that gas had. Um, and then giving this person quirks and making them unique, um, you know, sometimes reversing some tropes, like, for instance, their tech guy isn't a nerd, right? He's this giant monster of a man, you know, bodybuilder, and, and he's the tech guy, um, you know, just just for fun, um, you know, and creating trying to create unique uh, side characters that would that would be interesting and, and help move the story, even though they don't have necessarily a huge part.
0: Um, Michael, and you know we've talked in the past about your military background and yeah. uh, and your love for science fiction and uh, you know you know we have this this sub-genre of science fiction military science fiction um that's yeah. that's wildly popular um, a, as a military um, science fiction writer, uh, I guess what what I'd like to know is um you know, I'm sure you get lots of questions about, um, you know, how much of the military action is real, and you know what, um, uh, what people that are that are actively serving, um, you know, how that's reflected in fiction. But because this is science fiction and it's futuristic science fiction, um, how do you? I'm, I'm trying to think of a way to phrase this. Um, how do you kind of project? into the future with, with technology and, you know, the way things would naturally change as technology evolves. Um, you
2: know, what... what as yeah, a, I, I hear you. You know, I'm, um,
0: I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm lacking for words. I apologize.
2: No, I, I I get what you're saying because some science fiction does do that and, and you know, and, and projects the future. I mean, Bradbury is famous for it. Like a lot of this stuff, if you go back and read Fahrenheit 451, like he predicted... Like ATMs, you know, things, I mean, just, you know, huge large screen TVs. He just so much of the technology that he used is real now, you know, and he wrote about it in the 50s. Um, and, and there are great authors. There are authors, science, military science fiction authors who do that really well. Um, Linda Nagata, if, if you're, you know, if you're into that kind of thing, read some of her stuff where, where she predicts, you know, where it's going. I read it. and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's how it's going to go. I don't really try to do that. Um, you know, in the Planet Side series, I really wrote almost backward tech, right? I mean, a lot of the Planet Side series is based on tech that's already in play. Um, and in this one, I, you know, I do the power armor. I, I don't think that's where warfare is actually going to go. I just thought it was really cool. Um, you know, so I am much, much more about the the characters. And the the interactions between the people in the military and how real those are. And I think for for veterans who read it, um, who read my work and then comment to me that, you know, one of the greatest comments I get is like, you get it. This is how this is. This is how officers and enlisted actually interact. You know, this is how people actually think in the military and how they actually talk to each other. So those are the parts that I try to make real. I try to make the characters and the interactions real. You know, as ridiculous as some of the characters are in in the book that I just wrote in in, in the Misfit Soldier, you know, the book that comes out today, the um, they're real. You know, I didn't base them on real people, but people who have served are going to read this and they're going to go, oh, I knew it got like that.
0: When uh, one of the great things about a heist uh, novel is the ability to assemble a team of specialists, um, when, when you started thinking about the team that you would assemble, did, did you kind of have, have skills that you had set aside and then, you know, uh, you cast characters for those? How, how do you start building out your team?
2: The hardest part about that was making it fast, um, you know, in writing, because you can do it in a movie, but when you're writing, the problem you run into, right, is you want to develop each of those characters. and You want to have these interactions and you want to show the building of the team because I think it's so cool. But you don't have that many pages to do it because you got to get into the story. Right. And if you're if you're building the team for too long, then then you're going to slow your story down. So that was really the hardest part about it. Um, but but for me, you know, I kind of just started thinking about it from Gas's perspective of, OK, what do I need here? I'm gonna need one of these. I'm gonna need one of these. Um, you know, I'm, I'm gonna need a guy who who does who does network stuff. I'm gonna need a pilot. I'm gonna need, you know, somebody to carry the big guns. I'm gonna need, you know, I'm gonna need a killer because it's a soldier. It's still a soldier book, right? So we got Martinez, and we got to, we got to go find the killer. Um, you know, the guy who's actually gonna shoot people. Um, you know, so it he just kind of built it from from scratch and then part of it was i wanted to have a certain number um you know so i kind of threw a couple people in there just to to round out the team so you have a full team um you know because if you make your team too small you can't kill anybody right but the fact of the matter is that you can't kill anybody everyone who's reading it kind of knows you can't kill anybody Right. If there's two main characters and they're going into a battle and, and they're and they're the two, two people, right? In most stories you kinda know they're not gonna die. And if you know nobody's gonna die, it just takes away your ability as the author to create tension. You know, where I can't I can't credibly put people at risk. Right? So when you start this story and it's all told in first person from Gas's point of view, you know he lives. You know, it, it there's no structure where he dies, it's just and as a reader, if you've read a ton of books, you know that. Right. It's told from his point of view. He's telling you this story. So he must be alive. Right. You don't know what's happened to him. You don't know how it's worked out for him, whether it's good or bad. He could be in a bad situation, a good situation, but he lives. Right. But everybody else is at risk. And the more characters you have, the more viable that risk is feels to the reader i think because you can you can see it happening i just watched the new reacher show on amazon right where like everybody dies right (laughs) And because the author does that because the writers do that in the you know in episode one or two or three people are dying by the time you get to episode six you are afraid for everybody and that's just good writing that is good writing
0: you're absolutely right speaking of which um The um the planet side trilogy because it is a trilogy, um, and and we knew from the beginning that this was going to be a series, um, you know there there are certain things that as a writer you can and cannot do because you know you've got to carry this story for three books, Um, sure with uh with the misfit soldier being a standalone um you know and you talked earlier about building that tension and and you know, readers kind of knowing who may be safe and who may not be, w- was there a certain freedom that comes with knowing that you don't have to carry this through three books, that, that the stakes really are higher? Uh,
2: yes and no. Um, first, I got to correct something that you said when I wrote Planet Side, I thought it was a standalone. <laughs> like I wrote it to be a standalone book. Um. And then when I signed the contract for it, and Harper immediately told me it was not going to be a standalone book, then then I, well, no, it was okay. I mean, so I kind of opened up the. It was already a fairly open ending in Planet Side, and did not have to adjust that much. But you know, coming back to write Space Side, I, I kind of had to think about like, okay, well, where does this story go? Like, I hadn't really planned it beyond that. Um, now writing writing Space Side. It was different because I did kind of know that there was going to be a third book. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I did not plan that as a series, really. I wrote it as a series of individual books. Um, But then this one, but there was still some freeing stuff about this one, knowing that it was going to be a one and done. Possibly. Um, (laughs) The plan is that it's a one and done. I have no plans to write another one. But the other day, I kind of did come up with an outline of how I would write another one if it became something that we wanted to do down the road. I just had so much fun writing it, and I loved the characters, and I had fun with the characters, and I really wouldn't mind doing it again one day when I finish the projects, you know, that I'm working on now. Um, So this would be, you know, in the distant future. But what was fun for me in this was really, I think, writing a completely closed ending. Like, I don't feel like anyone's going to walk away from this book and, and not have all the answers. Um, I feel like, you know, I feel like it ends and you really know what happened. And, you know, there's no I didn't leave open threads. I did not leave any way to write a second book. I was able to open it and close it and make a full story. And that was fun. Um, you know, that was fun. But I will figure out a way to open it up again if I need
0: to. <laughs> the title of this book, The Misfit Soldier. um is is interesting to me um I, I one of my sons-in-law uh just finished basic training is and is in tech school right now and uh in the air force and one thing that uh that you know basic training especially um kind of tries to do is to sand off those individual edges of people, so that you don't have misfits and you don't have people that stand out. It, you know, people work as a team, and um, the individual is not necessarily exalted above the team. Um, what did the misfit soldier? This idea, what was it that appealed to you? And 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 what is it about this character that makes him a misfit?
2: Well, first off, the, the idea that you're going to sand those edges off and make everyone. You know, conform and, and, and it doesn't work. That's a lie. <laughs> you know, it's a lie. I'm not saying that, that we don't try. Yeah. And obviously you've got to conform people to a certain amount of standard. Sure. Right. And and you can try, but people have individual personalities and they bring different skills to the team, you know. Um, and and that's that's real. Now, for, for my story purpose, of course I exaggerated all that. Right. Because that's what makes a good story. You can't. But it's real. You know, in any squad of soldiers in, in the army, you got people who are good at different things. You got the one guy who's keeping everybody's mood up just because, you know, he's, he's a happy guy, he tells jokes, keeps keeps everything light. Right. And you don't think of that as a skill, but it really is. Right. Um, you know, and everyone just has different personalities and they have to mesh. Uh, and I just exaggerate that for the book. Um The book was originally going to be titled Misfits because they're all Misfits, right? The whole team is Misfits. Um, Marketing would not allow that because uh, search engine optimization doesn't work real well for that, Um, which is good because there's like a movie that just came out after I wrote the book called The Misfits or Misfits or something (laughs) like that. And I would have got, you know, I'd have been like 27th on Google. and You don't want that um, if you're trying to sell books and ultimately, ultimately. We all have marketing departments for a reason. They're, they're the ones who make sure that we get to continue writing books because they go out and sell them. Um, you know, so they asked for a different uh, title and I actually made some changes in the book to kind of reflect that just a little bit uh, when we decided to change the title.
0: Michael, what do you think of the state of of science fiction right now? You know, you mentioned Ray Bradbury earlier, and sure. um, we, we have you know, kind of these icons of the golden age of science fiction, and and some stories that are just still resonating. Uh, you know, thirty, forty, fifty years later, um, yeah. You know, and and we're in this uh, really interesting renaissance of of science fiction and military science fiction where. You know, some really unique stories are coming out and and there's like new life has been breathed into the genre over the last decade or so. Where do you see science fiction and and what are your uh, what do you expect from the genre coming forward?
2: Yeah, this is such a great question because I have so many feelings on this because I'm a person who started reading science fiction, you know, a long time ago. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm I mean, I'm in my 50s. I'm certainly familiar with all those, you know, foundational works. Um, and I think, you know, and you mentioned a golden age. I think this is the golden age. And I know that's sacrilege to some people who, who you know, believe in the old masters. And there are people, you know, I've i have had conversations with people that say, I don't read any science fiction that was written after 1980. And I, I, I just stopped talking to them because, yeah we don't have anything in common That's just i read silly. those books okay i read those books and i liked them but now you can find anything you want when i was a kid right there was one bookstore in my town and i read whatever they carried between what they carried and the library carried that was that defined for me what i was able to read you know so i read i read the books that they carried now you have such discoverability you know between between traditional publishing which is taking more and more chances with more and more different authors from different backgrounds and bringing in just great new ideas. And if that's not for you and you're not happy with it, there's a million self-published books out there that you can explore. You can find somebody writing literally everything you want. You, know? you, want, to read, you want to read Three Tentacled Aliens Having Sex with Each Other. Somebody wrote it. I don't know where it is, and I don't know that book. But somebody did it. Right. Somebody's writing everything and you can find it. You know, and I think that part of our community gets mad about it because that's not science fiction like I know it. But the science fiction like you know it and want it is out there, too. Yeah. You know, let everybody have their piece of this great pie. Yeah. Um, You know, I I just I, I love it. I love there's so many different kinds of books and so much different science fiction out there that I, I spend most of my reading time trying to read new stuff. Yeah. Like you know, mostly, and I'll go back and read some of the classics that I've missed. Like if I have holes in my, you know, like I, I I've never read a canticle for Leibowitz. Right. And I need to, and and I will this year. It's it's just one of those books that, that is foundational that I need to go read. Cause I haven't. Um, and it's a hole in my, in my background that, that I want to fill. And I'm not saying everybody has to do that. That's just me. That's just, you know, I like to know where we came from um, and I like to see where we're going. And then, you know, I like to read debut authors who are doing completely new things. And then, of course, I have my favorites who are working in the business today um, Arcady Martin and Essa Hansen um, are, are two, N.K. Jemison, I love. Um, and just these authors that mostly can do things I can't, um, you know, and in they're, in their, use of the language and their their ideas are very different from my own and i love them because i can't do that you know and, but i can see what they're doing and i see how brilliant it is um you know and i'm just i'm just a huge fan of so many authors um sorry i could talk about science fiction for all day we could have like a whole separate conversation um I love it.
0: And yeah, I I echo what you said. Just because someone is doing something that you don't like does not mean that the thing that you do like is not still available and and people still doing... You know, great new innovative things in the genre that, that you like. Um, this is a, you know, I, I think it was Hugh Howey that said uh, several years ago, we're not competing with each other. We're competing with things like YouTube and Facebook and, and all of that mess that's out there. There, there are plenty uh, of, of things that you love out there. You just have to look for it for sure.
2: Yeah, well, and and you're competing now with the fact that the market is so broad that it's hard for it's hard to to stand out you know it's hard because because there are so many you know because everything is available even in writing you know because there are a million books that people have to choose from each individual selling enough books to to make a living at it becomes very difficult you know and that's that's really the business side of it you know so as an author you know i kind of wish there were fewer books like and you'd all read mine but uh, <laughs> um, you know, but as a fan, but as a fan, I just love that everything's out there.
0: The Misfit Soldier. When you're hearing this, is available. Uh, in Kindle edition and audiobook edition, and I know that a lot of our listeners are huge audiobook listeners. So go grab it uh, immediately. The print edition will uh, will be along shortly. You know, because of COVID that we talked about earlier, there are some supply issue, some supply chain issues that that's happening with a lot of authors. So that that paperback will be along soon. But you can grab it today when you're hearing this. Uh, in kindle edition and audiobook we're going to have links to it in the show notes of this episode uh, michael if people are just discovering you and uh, work, want to dig into all the great stuff that you do where can they find you online
2: i i am uh, i am at michael mamay on everything my webpage page is com. i'm on twitter at michael Mamet. I'm on facebook at michael mamay um so I I really started my social media presence after I became an author, so I was able to, like, make everything the same. That's fantastic. Plus, plus there's only two of me, and there's only two people named Michael Mamet in the United States. Um, So it was easy to get.
0: Absolutely. Well, we're going to send everyone to see you and to pick up their copy of The Misfit Soldier. Michael, this has been so much fun catching up. Thank you so much for taking time to come back on the show.
2: Thanks, Hank. I really appreciate it. I like coming here every time.
0: Now stay tuned for an audiobook excerpt from Richard Gleaves' The Jason Crane Series.
1: The brutes of the Andersonville Prison Hospital have moved me to the dead room, or so it has come to be known. None so domiciled have yet left this place. We receive only the smallest rations and only cursory care, to reduce our odors and spare the nostrils of our keepers. "'the good Christians of the Confederacy "'do not see any need to provide comfort "'to those who will soon sleep soundly enough underground. "'You must know, at least, "'how your father came to such an end. "'At Doctortown, Kilpatrick entrusted me "'with the conquest of a railroad trestle, "'and my bombers, my demolition team, "'acquitted themselves admirably "'thanks to my ingenuity with powder.' We successfully destroyed the trestle work past Morgan's Lake. This would prove to be my entire contribution to the war. Federal troops were unable to capture the bridge or overcome the enemy's battery. Kilpatrick withdrew, and my bummers and I found ourselves on the wrong side of the Altamaha River, behind the enemy line, with no hope of reaching our encampment. Rebels accosted us, taking our remaining supplies. We escaped and headed south, hoping by a long march to reach Seymour's forces in Jacksonville, but we encountered other rebel encampments at Jessup. Four of my men were lost to gunfire. We marched west, then south again, barely evading capture. We had no choice but to brave the great swamp Okefenokee. Oh, on and on it goes, in every direction, endlessly. We trudged through miles of grasping mud and noxious rot, pursued by hunger and the mosquito, scratching at our arms and faces until all our skin was scourged. We lived off alligator meat at first, then nothing at all. My men grew mutinous, blamed me for all their misfortunes, threatened to throw me in a sack, weigh me down with stones, and sink my body. Yet was I not equally hungry? Did I not starve? I grew weary of their endless insubordination and contempt. Finally, they took hold of me and swore they would hang me by the neck for leading them to ruin. They were five in number, younger than I and more muscular. I was no match for them physically. They lay their hands on me and I burned them. I burned those men. The flame rose from me as from a volcano stripping the skin from those boys, blackening their faces, roasting their flesh. And, let this be my final ghastly confession, I feasted that night, feasted on the meat of my prospective murderers. And that is how I survived. I staggered alone from that swamp, a mad thing, fueled by outrage and guilt. I saw an encampment of rebel soldiers and surrendered myself gladly. They say in Andersonville Prison all men are brothers, equal in filth, equal in terror, equal in ruin. Yet I feel I may claim some small distinction, at least, for I am surely damned to a greater extent than any here.